Thank you for being a friend Travel down a road and back again Your heart is true You're a pal and a confidant I'm not ashamed to say Welcome to Talking Giants, presented by DraftKings. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, here with my co-host, Justin Pennick. Interview, interview alert. I haven't had an interview in a long time. You know, we're we're trying to wean you guys off the draft. We know you guys can't go cold turkey. We've got to wean you guys off, so we're doing an interview with Dan Schneier of the Big Blue Banter Podcast, recapping the draft. And then we start talking. We get off on a on a Jason Garrett rabbit hole, which you know it, it is what it is. So it's we, necessary. It's you know we haven't talked about Jason Garrett in a while, so we'll we'll do all of that. Justin, how are you? How was your Mother's Day weekend? How, how you doing, Bobby? Happy Mother's Day. Um, you know you're soon to be a mother with that hair that you're growing over there. So happy Mother's Day to you. Happy soon to be Mother's Day. You know that wasn't nice. It was a compliment to your hair. Your your hair is beautifully feminine. Still not nice. It's good to talk about Jason Garrett for your for for my mental health. So I'm glad that we ended off the show that way. No, but Dan Schneier, Big Blue Banter, you know, is his co-host Nick Filato too. You know, he basically anytime we have Nick Filato on, um, he's a Nostradamus and he just tells us at least one of the one of the players the Giants are going to draft. And then we usually we have uh, as tradition lies, we have Dan Schneier on his co-host. Um, to recap the draft. So Dan's really smart, really good guy. Um, if you now Bobby's usually more of a schematic guy than I am, but if you really want big, big time in depth X's and O's, Dan's your guy. So uh, really awesome conversation. And my Mother's Day was good. I I showered my mother with That's chocolate. Weird. Cho- no, I didn't shower with my mother. I said I showered my mother with. Um, I'm definitely ch- clipping that chocolate covered marshmallows. And two necklaces that you can like layer on top of each other. Now I got two necklaces because there was a deal. Cool. Don't tell her that. I got my mom a chess. Oh, I already uh, did. A, a, a like chess checkers kind of thing set, and then she likes these little like trinket things. I, it's hard to explain. Like kind of like beach themed like little things. So yeah. Um, you and really- your brother also got her the same card, which was bizarre. Yes, me and my youngest brother got her the same exact card, which was messed up. We did a nice burnout in front of the restaurant that we had lunch at, so it was it was a good day. It was it was the first Sundays where I just didn't work in a long time because this you know the last two months have been just like Sunday's a good day to crank out draft profiles. So it was it, it was a it was a nice Mother's Day. Um, some other people who have mothers, Justin. Mm, well, we hope Marty. Everyone has a mother. Maybe that their mother true. was a bad mother, and listen. It happens. I understand. I'm here for you. Marty Malella. Uh, happy Mother's Day, Mrs. Malella. Michael Colavito. Happy Mother's Day, Mrs. Colavito. Charles Woolley. Happy Mother's Day, Mrs. Woolley. And Tom Hopf. Happy Mother's Day, Mrs. Hopf. Who are all these mother-having son of guns? They hopped, 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 hopped their way over to Patreon.com. for some money. Yeah, yeah, we got a five-star review recently that said that we beg for money every single episode. I don't really consider us thanking our listeners who want to support us as begging for money. But, you know, because we're just such beggars and we want, we really want your $2 a month, uh, go to patreon.com. I want that guy to DM me and I'll Venmo you some money. How about that? I will I will Venmo him $50. How about that? Is- you just made yourself 50 bucks, buddy. Which is good for twenty five months. That's we need two to talk years. about how we use this Patreon money. By the way, let's let's let's. I'm gonna go get dinner after this, and we'll talk. All right, let's let's move it along. Let's move it along. All right, so those are our Patreons. Thank you guys. You guys are awesome, and thank you to your mothers for having you. You know, is our is our audience ninety eight percent male and have the numbers to back that up? Yeah, but without mothers, we wouldn't have their sons. That's true. All right, so we're gonna get into the interview. The only thing I want to say for it is I can't believe we forgot to talk about Joe Judge saying us versus the world on the radio. It's not a coincidence. I'm sorry. It's too many. Co- if it was just that on itself, there is way too many coincidences. There's, a little, there's just way too many coincidences. We know that he knows us at this point. Um, so he, he has to know at this point. Like he's he's 100% teasing us. Or he just used the common phrase. But I'm, I, I reject that. No. Thought. No. I think the Little Caesars was more of an indicator than anything because it's like, dude. Nobody that just was, brings that up. Was. No one brings, brings up Little Caesars up. pizzas in an nah. interview. Nah. Like I, 
listen, we've all ate Little Caesars. Nobody talks about no, taking no, time off and eating Little Caesars. Like that was one hundred percent like a, a nod to us. Also, we you just implied that everybody eats Little Caesars. No, I mean if you're from the state of New Jersey, you have never ever eaten Little Caesars. Never. Regardless, it was it was that in that story was talked about and. That was his first big win. He beat Washington twice. Those weren't big wins. The Eagles win was the first big win for Joe Judge. He wanted to hear what we had to say, and he heard that little Caesar story. So. Yep. And you. So yeah. So that if you're if you're new and you and you missed it, Bobby Skinner told the little Caesar story where he almost got into a fight in the middle of the season, and then the next week Joe Judge mentioned little Caesars in a press conference. So, yes. Speaking of fighting. Big names are headlining this weekend's UFC 262 card. From Nate Diaz to Michael Chandler, there will be no shortage of action. And DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC, has a heavyweight offer for this weekend's fight with 100 to 1 odds. One fighter will be walking away with the belt. Will you be walking away with the cash? Just pick the main event fighter you think will win, and DraftKings Sportsbook will give you 100 to 1 odds on that fighter. That's right. Bet $1 on select fighters, and if they win, you win $100. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry if MMA isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on basketball, hockey, and so much more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can pause and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code JOMBOY, not JOHN, not JOHN as, you know, a guy who, you know, picks up hookers. Jom, jom boy, when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on a main card fight to win. Place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. That's code jom boy to turn $1 into $100 on select main card fighters. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right. Dan. Schneier. Come on, pay attention in there. Let's go. We got a beautiful day. Work. Play fast. Play fast. Whoa. Ah. All right. We now welcome on. Uh, we had him on last year after the draft. We have his co-host on before the draft, so it's become like an annual thing. Big Blue Banter podcast host, editor for CBS Sports, Dan Schneier. Dan, I was... Every time for the longest time, not the longest time, but for a couple months, I thought your name was Dan Snyder. Like I'm sure, I'm sure you get that a lot. Do you ever get tweets about the Nickelodeon guy? So there's a few things on that. First of all, you still are working on the pronunciation of so it's Schneier. That's the that's the way to do it. You, you Schneier, kind of, I, 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 I screw it, it up. No, I don't. I don't blame you. I think unless you're a Jew, you don't. You shouldn't be expected to pronounce the S E H. I think it's. It might be, you know, I mean, clearly you're not, Bobby. So, and just, well, see, I get accused of trying to be a Jew because, like, I, 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 I keep the Levitical like food laws and stuff. And, oh, interesting. So maybe, so, but, but I, but the pronunciations I don't have down yet. Yeah. So, Bobby, I was, I was a junior in college and just brand new with this whole thing. I interviewed Dan, and I probably practiced in front of a mirror seventy five times before I interviewed him. And here you are, just being oh, ho- hokey dokey, Bobby Skinner, just pronouncing whatever you want. <laughs> I don't even. I don't, I, don't, I remember that interview. I don't remember that you being as nervous. So you came off well there, Justin. And obviously, we'll have to go for the full evaluation of where you've turned to and how you've improved. We'll have to ask Carl Banks. But until then, until we get until we get the uh, the go ahead from him, we'll move forward. But yeah, man, it's been. There's been, I would say, about three to four times a year, someone will mistake me for Dan Snyder, the the uh, Washington football team owner. And that will be a disaster. But this new disaster is what you just said, Bobby, where I'm getting mistaken for this Nickelodeon dude because this Nickelodeon dude is apparently a really freaking bad guy. Like things people are saying to me, like, because he has some weird foot fetish or something. I don't know what's going on, but I'm getting picks sent to me at feet. I'm getting like shame on you. And then I'm like, I respond to everyone like, you have the wrong guy. Please check my Twitter pile. And they're like, no, we don't have the wrong guy. And I'm like, this is clearly the wrong guy. Like, as you can see, nothing to do with Nickelodeon. It's like I, I like solely tweet about the NFL, man. Like I promise yeah. you, you've got the wrong guy. Um, the only person I get mixed up there was a guy named Bobby Skinner who played defensive line for the Giants in the early 2010s. He didn't play. I don't think he ever got reps on the field, but he was on the team. And what's funny is his profile, like his Yahoo profile, doesn't have his picture. So every once in a while, if I'm like crit- critical, or something I'm like, oh, did you 
you didn't play. How are you going to be critical? And I'll just drop the screenshot. Like, actually, I did play. <laughs> and just lie to them. Like, oh, wow. I'm, I'm sorry about that. That was me, Bobby Skinner in 2010. That's awesome, actually. Yeah. It's like, dude, I, I'm that Michigan State defensive lineman, <laughs> Bobby Skinner. It's like, if you YouTube, it's a black guy. But if you don't, if you don't, you, if you don't dig, dig that deep, we're, we're good. Um, so we're having you on the talk about the draft. Obviously, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, wean off the draft where we, you know, we've been addicted to it. So we got to slowly get off of it. What has, what, like, what did you think about Trader Dave, man? I mean, I have never, you know, I don't even like trades and mock drafts regardless, but I was more so it's like, he's never done it. He's never done it. I don't think we'll be in a great position to do it. Obviously fields fell. What'd you think about, you know, trading down the 20 and then the trade down uh, where they grabbed Ojolari? Yeah, I think if anyone who's listened to me before is probably not going to be surprised to hear I absolutely love this this decision. But it's more so not necessarily just because of the trade. I think the actual trade, they got incredible value out of. If you look at a recent deal, people kept trying to dig up deals and say, oh, the Giants didn't get good value for this trade. The Giants should have got more. They were trading up for the quarterback. Well, actually, if you look just two drafts ago, the Steelers and Broncos made a nearly identical trade with the Steelers moving up from, I believe it was 19 to 10 or something like 20 to 10. I believe it was actually 20 to 10. And what they got back was the 53rd overall pick and another either second or third round pick. So even if the Bears win the Super Bowl, which is not happening, but even if the Bears were to win the Super Bowl, that 32nd pick alone would be worth more than the highest pick that the Broncos got out of that deal with the Steelers. So to me, it's a slam dunk, obviously from that standpoint, but also from the standpoint of it felt to me like this this personnel, and I don't know if it's all Dave Gettleman, but I am going to give him a ton of credit because from everything I've heard from talking with a lot, not a lot, but two key people who have worked both in NFL front offices, one was a head coach for a while, one was the GM for a while. The GM ultimately makes the decision, no matter what anyone speculates, and we know there's a ton of speculation among Giants fans. So I got to give him credit because it come, it seems like they came in with a plan. The plan was we get one of these top skill guys. I'm sure they would have been fine with Smith, Waddle, Chase, or Pitts. And if we don't get one of those guys, we trade down because we see value in that you know, mid to late area of the first round, similar to what we see if those four skill guys are off the board. And so I love what he did there. And then the Aziz thing is just a slam dunk. I had Aziz as my number one target in on day two at 42. I would have been perfectly happy. would have been thrilled if they took Aziz at 42. Instead, they trade back, create another pick for next year, a third round pick and still get the guy. So man, it's, it was cool to see. I didn't, I didn't honestly think Edelman would ever do it, but it clearly shows that he's changing. And one thing I said, one last thing on this, one thing I said, which I thought was cool is that, you know, Gettleman hasn't been guaranteed the job for next year. It's almost the opposite. It's almost like Mara's like, I don't want to keep coming to this podium after another season where we win six games or fewer and say, we're going to fix this. It's almost like this is kind of a make or break for him in a lot of ways, both with the roster, with Daniel Jones, with Saquon Barkley, all coming to a close at some point with their contracts are starting in the year. And so he put all that aside, the need to win now to help this team overall, like getting these future picks, isn't going to help them this season. We all know that it's actually, you know, it, if they had lost out on disease, some would argue it would hurt them. They got lucky there, but overall, like Devonte Smith, I think is a cleaner evaluation than Darius Tony. Not that they had a chance at him, but either way, he put all of that aside, I think to improve the roster overall. So I'm thrilled, man. Yeah, and so that's kind of like your maybe some big picture thoughts about just like as the draft overall, but especially even with trading. But, you know, we're, we're a bunch of crazy people who hop in front of a microphone a couple times a week to talk <laughs> about this great football team. So what are some of your big picture thoughts and, you know, takeaways stemming from this year's draft class in terms of the players that we picked? Because even, you know, it's kind of crazy how the Giants and free agency went with totally like a win now approach with mm -hmm. spending, you know, a lot of money. But then this draft class, you know, the main thing that we're talking about is the trades and how they stacked in the future assets. So what do you think about this year's draft class in terms of its players and how these guys can kind of rock and roll right away? Or do we need a little bit, a little bit of time? What do you think about these players? I think that's an excellent point, Justin. They, you could see that they had the two-pronged plan with the free agency and the draft being quite different in the goals they tried to accomplish. And as far as the guys they got in this draft, like I did say in my in my five-step blueprint, I did say don't, don't come out of this class without an offensive lineman. I said that was one of the most important steps. But having said that, as I look back at this class and I took a step back, first of all, there were 17 offensive linemen selected before the Giants traded up for Aaron Robinson at 71, 17. And there were 13 that went off the board before, or I'm sorry, in the first, I believe, I just had this number up and I'm losing it now. I think it was the first 
50 picks. There were 13 offensive linemen, which is also unheard of. So ultimately the board just didn't fall the way in my mind it could have for the Giants to select an offensive lineman. I think even Dave Gettleman himself, I'm always going to believe that that video of him nodding in the draft room and seeming disappointed was because he wanted Aaron Banks there at pick, you know, instead of Aziz Ojolari. Personally, I'd rather Aziz. And as far as going and, and as far as like what impact they can make this year, I think ultimately we can view Aziz as a potential day one starter off that edge. Now, what does that mean for the Giants or Patrick Graham, a guy who rotates so many guys on that edge based on down and distance and there's so many different packages? It's not what it means for like traditional Jim Schwartz 4-3 Eagles defense where that guy's going to play, I don't know, 80, 90% of the snaps or something in that range. He probably still won't be in that high 80, 90% snap range. But I think from day one, he'll be that main at one of those main edge rushers uh, on obvious passing down. So I think that's a slam dunk. As far as Tony goes, in my perfect world, he's on the field for 70, 80% of the snaps. And the offense is running through him, Saquon, and Galladay. And they're using a lot of jet sweep motion. They're, they're handing him the ball four to six times per game, or they're quick passing him off the fake jet sweep and the handoff. And they're finding ways to get him as a key part to that, uh, to that offense. But we'll see what happens there. It's Jason Garrett. I'm not making any promises with how that offense is going to shake out and how quickly he's going to kind of come into the picture. And then they got another guy in Aaron Robinson, I think is also a day one contributor and ultimately may play the most snaps of all these rookies in my mind, because in today's NFL, you're in nickel or dime 80, 90%. Like you're so rarely in base these days, you either have five or six defensive backs on the field for the vast majority of your snaps. So he, to me is a key player. And then Ellerson Smith, we'll see what they can get up. I know Bobby's really high on Ellerson immediately being kind of that number one contributor from pass rush standpoint, or at least I, I thought I saw you mention that you're smiling now. Maybe I misinterpreted that, but I, I, I feel the same way. I feel like there's a chance he can definitely provide that juice off the edge right away. I, I got a little overexcited with Ellerson okay. at first. Cause honestly, like, you know, um, Nick came on the show and we, you know, we do his like, Hey, let's give us some mid round guys that we can hit and target. And Ellerson was one that Nick liked. And I honestly wasn't that big of a fan because, you know, just going off of, you know, his film from 2019, um, now, obviously, he went down to the senior bowl, Addison Wayne, but it's like, yeah, he has these awesome pass rush reps, but it's like he can get dominated in the run game and, and it's yeah. kind of hit or miss. But let's, we want to talk about Tony, but since we're talking edge right now, we'll, we'll start with Aziz and then go to Ellerson. Do you view Aziz as edge one right away? Now, I know Lorenzo, let's just pretend Lorenzo Carter comes back at the exact benchmark that he got injured at. Do you view him as edge one right away? in a room that is extremely crowded? That's a great question. If they could get um, Carter back to where he was before the Achilles, I'm very skeptical. The history of players returning from an Achilles injury is as almost as bad as it gets. It's basically the worst injury to suffer in football. And especially for a guy who does rely, rely a lot on, or at least the upside with him was always that edge bend and that burstiness out of his lower half. I'm a little skeptical there, but assuming he does somehow recover to hundred percent, that's a great question for me. The answer though is yes. When it comes to Aziz and Aziz was actually the number one edge I wanted in this class for the giants. I was not, I did not want an edge at 11. I was happy they passed an edge at 20 as well, which most people would have been, you know, my dad was talking to me after the draft and he's like, I would have been so happy with this class if it was Aziz at 20 and Kadarius at, you know, 50. So basically it's the same thing. It works out well for me. And I get that point of view for sure. Cause some people felt like Kadarius was overdrafted and we'll talk about that. But as far as Aziz goes, the reason he was my first edge I wanted for the giants was purely the system fit. I just feel yeah. like he is the perfect fit for this system way better than anyone in the class. I mean, case can be made that Phillips can literally fit any system and the upside is certainly there with a player like Jalen Phillips, but I had no interest in Quiddy pay to be completely honest. I did not like his ceiling at all. And with the rest of those guys, with the exception of Peyton Turner, no one expected to go that high though. I like him a lot. I really didn't see enough, I guess, upside overall to make up for how well, Ojolari fits this system so just that in mind and the fact that he already has a really good pass rush move that I think is easily translatable to the NFL like it's not going to work against every tackle but there are going to be enough tackles out there that are going to struggle with that move I think it makes him for me uh, uh I would say yes he's the he's the edge one right right away in week one I I agree and you know he had talk about it at 11 and I remember you know uh even Nick was like I remember he did his first mock draft and he's like Ojolari 11 and I was I wasn't the biggest Ojolari fan from where he was talked about in the first round. You know, there was guys I liked more. You know, obviously, I you know I did like Pay more than others. Jalen Phillips, Joe Tryon was the guy I was I was really like I think I was higher on him more than others. 
But then it was like, oh, this guy, like when it became like, oh, 142, it's like, okay, 42, that's a good pick. You know, it's, I, that's kind of where I viewed him. And then 50, it's like, oh my gosh, like we just got our edge one at 50. It, it really did work out for the Giants in that range. Um, staying with them, where do you view Ellerson immediately? Like, cause I don't think he's going to play year one. I think he's got a lot of stuff to work on. Um, you know, I'm high, like I'm higher on Oshane Zimenez than I, I am on him. And I, I, I'm not overly high, you know, I'm not, I'm not overly high on anybody in the, on the, in the edge group besides Aziz right now. Um, you know, with, with Lorenzo coming back from the injury, do you think, uh, Ellerson's going to come in and have any day one impact? So I actually do. And I'm mostly judging this on what we saw last year from Patrick Graham. He had no qualms with playing guys like Carter Coughlin, playing guys like Cam Brown. Now, to be fair, there were injuries that led to that situation and why we saw so many snaps from those guys. But at the same time, they found their way onto the field early on. And I think he's a lot more advanced and than those guys were, at least as edge players. But the other thing is he does offer something that I think can be kind of schemed into the defense right away. And that's his length and burst kind of his get up off the snap. Some, there will be some situations I can already picture in my mind where Graham will design a defense where there is that one guy coming off the edge where he just basically needs to shoot right up field, right off the snap yeah. based on the alignment of the rest of the defense. And I think Ellerson can be that guy. Now there's other guys who can be that guy as well in this defense. Like, like you said, Lorenzo Carter, if he returns to form, he's going to be a better option in that exact regard. But I do think there will be some situation. I don't think, like you said, he's going to be some kind of like every down player. I think it'll be more of what we saw along the lines from Carter Coughlin and uh, from Cam Brown in year one. Yeah, I, I um, it, it's I really do think in the fourth, like, is a fourth round pick. Your you know rate of hitting those guys. I think they really were like, let's take a chance on this guy because I thought there were some guys who were you know better pure pass rushers or you know whatnot. But where Ellerson has that potential is like okay, but he has the length that a lot of guys don't, and then he has the burst that a lot of guys that have the length that he has don't. So I I really do think they're like you know like let's let's take a chance on the guy who can be a top pass rusher instead of a guy who might be a little maxed out right now. Yeah. And, and Dan, one of the things that Dave Gettleman has said in the past too, and this is something that I've kind I've kind of taken the talking point with him when trying to explain the giants philosophy on edge rushers. And I want to hear your thoughts on this too. He talks about edge rushers now, not maybe not even edge rushers. I feel like giants edge rushers have been given this excuse, but players who were taken in college, you know, out of college and you know, look at Aziz, he's 20 years old. A lot of these guys are being taken when they're 20, 21 years old versus, you know, used to be, you know, they're 22, 23 coming out of school and they're losing those years of experience because they're opting out, you know, they're kind of opting out after their second year. So what are your thoughts on kind of, I don't want to say excusing like Dave Gettleman has done in the past about, we need to wait for guys to develop, particularly these edge rushers. Do you think that could have applied to their philosophy? If we're going to take Aziz because he's 20 years old and he's young and his ceiling can be so high. And then the same thing with Ellerson Smith, you know, with the, ceiling can be so high because of those like athletic traits, even though he doesn't have a ton of experience, but we'll give him the time to develop. Yeah. It's an interesting question, especially because of how much has changed with what the giants are looking for at the edge position from the days where they ran that four, three with the thumping inside middle linebacker. And they had different type of defensive ends kind of make their way through the, like, if you look at it, Justin Tuck, Michael Strahan and Ozium Nura, they're not really similar prospects at all. It, the, like, the only one who I would say is even close to one of them would be Matthias Kiwanuku. They also selected in the first round. Yeah. And I could see some some people make a case he's somewhat like Tuck, but not really there. So they're all different players. And I think they're looking for something different now. So it's hard for me to, until I get a little bit more data on the types of edges they're looking at. Because right now we have Lorenzo Carter as far as highly drafted edges go. And we'll throw Ellerson in because in my mind, he I believe that the, it, it, like Bobby said, it is a gamble. But for me, like when I'm, taking edges on day three, I'm not really looking at production at all at the collegiate level because unless I'm watching enough film on those guys where I can see that that production can translate to the next level. I'm looking for traits that can win in one-on-one pass rush situations at the next level, which I do think Ellerson Smith has, but I think ultimately like, for example, like Smith, if they're going to run, and this is based a, a lot on what we saw in 2020, so this may be a moot point now in 2021. Now they have a Dory Jackson, now they have Aaron Robinson. But if they're going to run similar schemes to what they ran last year with Patrick Graham, 
having someone like Ellerson Smith on the field on the edge versus someone like Kyle Fackrell. Now, if you want to drop him into that flat zone, you have so much length with Smith out there in that flat zone. And that offers a whole nother element because he's getting his arms in the way of the passing lanes. He's just in the way of the passing lanes, kind of what you saw from Zayvon Collins when you watch a lot of his film, like the way they used him. And I almost feel like to me, Ellerson is somewhat of a Zayden Collins light type prospect the way from what I've seen from him so far, just that pure athleticism, I think will help him in those situations, dropping in space. So to answer your question, I'm, I'm honestly not sure I need more of a sample size, I think with these edges, because it, it is a totally different ball game now than the ones they used to go for. Yeah. So there's a lot though, right now. So Aziz, Lorenzo Card, and Ellerson Smith, I would say are locks for the 53 man. But you got O'Shane Zimenez, who was the third-round pick. Ryan Anderson, who they just signed. Carter Coughlin, who they like. Cam Brown was – I think he had their second-most special team snaps. And then Afedi Odenegbo, I don't know how you view him. I do view him as like a five-tech hand-in-the-ground guy more than that outside linebacker spot. But that's seven, possibly eight guys. Not all of them are going to make the roster. Who would be? Who would be that like odd man out for you? I don't think you're going to love to hear this, but I'm not as high on O'Shane as immense as you are. I don't think though. I do see the value there. And I think that the fact that he is technically sound and just the way this defense works, there are going to be opportunities for him to get specific types of sacks. Like you saw it last year with some of the guys who cleaned up some of those sacks off the edge that were generally because Leonard Williams or one of those interior guys created those sacks. He can help in that regard, but with the injury last season, I just, I, I'm not, I don't think, I think I wouldn't, as if you're asking for a surprise cut, it would probably be him. But the most likely cut there to me is obviously Ryan Anderson because they've found Ryan Anderson was going to come in and help the team set the edge, but they've found other guys. I think who they feel confident. I think they can immediately basically feel confident with Ojalari there. I know some people have knocked that part of his game, but I don't know if I agree with them on that. So I feel like his role, what they expected from him isn't really there anymore. So I think if you're asking who I think is most likely it would be Anderson. Okay, I feel good about because I O'Shane. I'm like if O'Shane if they cut O'Shane, I would be like okay. They saw him in camp. He didn't make the leap that they were expecting, even though he had you know some potential and traits that other guys don't. But yeah, Ryan Anderson's the easy one. I I you know I I usually look for the positives and and anything you know just like let me let me tell you, like show me what this guy can do instead of me being like oh this guy you know he sucks in cover like you know sucks at dropping back. It's like okay, well don't use him that Ryan Anderson was like eh. I feel like he's a downgrade from Kyler Fackrell and Kyler Fackrell yes. went to the Chargers for cheap. So Ryan Anderson would be my hope where yes. Cam Brown, I would be fine with it, but it's not going to happen because he plays so many special team snaps. And then Coughlin's got some, some real pass rush ability yeah. that, you know, that, you know, a Cam Brown doesn't have, I, even a Ryan Anderson doesn't have. The other outlier is Carter, by the way, because we don't want to have to get here and say this, but if he doesn't return to, if he has like a Jimmy Graham type situation, like, Graham after the Achilles was just a totally different player and just a lot, like basically a liability in my mind out there. I know he's okay in the red zone. He's done decent things there post-injury, but my God, is that guy a liability everywhere else? If he's just not the same athlete, then there's not really as much reason to bank on him going for, and unless they feel like he can get back to that level, but he's not the best at setting the edge in the run game. He not the most technical pass rusher. He was supposed to win with that edge man and burst. And it sucks because I really did think he was going to break out last year in, in Graham's system. I felt like everything was in line before he had that injury versus Dallas. And it's just, it is truly unfortunate, but I think that's kind of the wild card here. Like if he doesn't return to his athletic form, I don't know for sure if they see a future with him. Right. All right. I'm going to ask one more defensive schematic question and then we'll move to offense. So one of my big talking points after the draft and even, even going into the draft, thinking of where the Giants could, how the Giants could possibly acknowledge this defense is they ran a ton of cover three. They ran cover three at like the second highest rate in the National Football League last year. And that was kind of the opposite of what Patrick Graham did in 2019. I mean, Bobby and I, we were expecting single high safeties and we were worried like, ooh, the Giants don't technically have a single high safety besides Adrian Colbert on the roster. What's going to happen? Are we going to allow more explosive plays like we did in 2019 with the James Betcher? And the answer was no. The Giants were really good enough allowing explosive plays they ran cover three Patrick Graham was versatile in that regard so we love it so schematically you're talking a lot about you know schematics you know you're that's like your your forte your mo so where do you see this Giants defense heading this year because they continue to acknowledge the secondary they also added some edge pieces like like you said Ellerson Smith can can fit that role of just go 
you know, <laughs> you know, rush the edge, you know, have a quarterback step up in the pocket. So they added a lot of uh, press man corners. Do you feel like Patrick Graham maybe wants to run a little bit more of an aggressive scheme this year where he's blitzing and he's running more man coverage like he did in 2019 or kind of status quo? Are we going to continue to run a little bit more cover three? What are you feeling right now? Yeah, it's so funny, Justin. You said it best. Like me and Nick did a podcast to or last summer, like a long podcast on just what we expect from Patrick Graham's defense. And the, the crux of it was a lot of man coverage and a lot of blitzing. And, and even like he would mix, I think he mixed in like 13 cover zero calls with the Dolphins in 2019. And that was like either second or third in the league. And we didn't see much of all that last year. So I think what you're saying is correct. I mean, I think the tea leaves are right there for us. They draft Aaron Robinson and they sign a Dory Jackson, Dory Jackson, by the way, who has his warts, but can cover the vertical pass better than most corners in the NFL when he's fully healthy. And that, if he can carry that vertical, like that gives them so many more options, I think from a coverage standpoint and what they can run. So ultimately like the, the answer to me, I think you guys would agree with this is it's going to be a mix and match of both, which is awesome because now that he has the ability to do it, I think that it's going to make Patrick Graham even more diverse as a play caller and you look at some of like the reasons they lost last year right like those two games the Eagles game and the Cowboys game those early season losses both times they didn't have a corner a second corner who can carry the vertical stem and and they got burned on vertical routes and like that's not going to happen this season I don't think with a Dory Jackson out there if he's healthy and if he can stay healthy obviously and so that's exciting and that gives them more options. And then the other thing is like Xavier McKinney, fully healthy. He played a lot of snaps in that saving defense in a single high look. Like, yes, he played a third in the box. Yes, he played a third over the slot and kind of what the Giants would call their star position. But he also has a good experience playing in a single high look. So I think they'll feel comfortable with him out there. I don't think they'll have, they've ever felt comfortable with Julian Love out there. That was an experiment for a little while. I didn't think they felt great about. I, I don't think they felt truly comfortable with Logan Ryan last season playing that role. And I I think now that he has the personnel to run more man and to blitz more often, we'll see it more often, which is super exciting because I don't think you're going to go away completely from a lot of the cover three stuff they ran last year, but I think they'll be able to mix and match, which is perfect. Yeah. And and you saw Graham wanted to do that. I mean, Chicago, he tried like Pittsburgh, second half of Pittsburgh. It's like, okay, you're going to play man coverage. We're going to throw back shoulders at Corey Ballantyne all day. And then Chicago again, it's like you, Well, Chicago, he was kind of doing those three-man rushes, and it was like, you're not getting there. But he wanted to do some of that stuff, and he learned quickly. He's like, I, I don't have the guy, I don't have the dogs to do that. And then what I love about Pat, you know, Patrick Graham, is that he adjusts and he adjusts quickly. So um, that that was that's just, he's so much fun just to watch. Like I'm a, I like watching scheme more than I do individual players. And it's like, oh, look at just that one difference he does from a regular zone coverage, and it just totally throws the QB off. Like I remember that James Bradbury interception versus Kyle Allen. It's like, oh, Kyle Allen just threw this dumb pass. It's like, no, Patrick Graham tricked him like like it was this well-thought-out play. Like, I thought that was more drawn up better than the Logan Ryan interception, the Pepper, like all those other ones. It's like, no, that was just a beautifully drawn-up play to confuse a quarterback. Yep, 100%. And you even saw a little bit more down the stretch they were using more man coverage. And that was with Julian Love playing that outside boundary role. Now what's he going to be able to, and Love is, is an okay player. I think he played that role a little bit better than people give credit for and better than some of the guys they were cycling in and out. The Yidams, who's basically just in there to help with the run and those types, obviously Ryan Lewis, the guys that were playing before him. But now he's got a Dory Jackson out there. And he's got, you know, Aaron Robinson in the slot. Maybe he kicks Aaron Robinson outside. I don't think Aaron Robinson would be great outside, but who knows? He'd certainly... Uh, projects better there than maybe a Darnay Holmes. Just yeah. Blank. So there's just so many more options now for him as a coordinator. Like you said, he's the most, I agree with you. Like watching his defense was the most fun you had watching all 22 last year by far. I mean, obviously there's no fun to watch. It's no fun watching Jason Garrett call an offense, trying to get 10 yards and three plays with routes that are breaking back toward the quarterback half the time. But Graham gave us a lot of fun and I think it'll be even more fun this year. Which by the way, I mean, I, I repeated that take by you like maybe 30 times this year on the podcast. Like, the the trying to get 10 yards every three yeah. plays by Jason for that's Jason his, that's, his, that's his philosophy. So, you know, Danny King's been using this stuff. What about you, Dan Schneier? You need a little little help with the wiener? You need a little help with the wiener? All right, well, this uh, episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Guys, it's been a hell of a year. Personally, I feel like I've aged 12 years over the last 12 months. And if you're like me, you're feeling your age more than you used to, especially in the bedroom. It's time to snap out of it. Spring is here and it's time to get sprung. With Blue Chew, just like Danny King. Danny King, he has gotten sprung. It's spring break. Danny, 
Danny Danny Kane killing it. Blue Chew is unique online service that delivers the same ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets help men achieve harder, stronger erections to combat all forms of ED. Erectile dysfunction. Danny, it's it went away for Danny. Congrats to Danny. I, I'm, I'm very happy for him. Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so no visits to the doctor office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door in a discreet package. Like, Danny talks to me about this stuff all the time, and it's awkward. I don't want to talk to him about him. It's like, dude, just do it online. You don't need to tell me all your business. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online. BlueChew's licensed medical uh, providers work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. Don't like swallowing pills? No problems here. BlueChew's Sildenafil and Taldelafil Tablets are chewable. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA. USA. And they prepare and ship direct, so it's cheaper than a pharmacy. So if you can benefit from an extra extra confidence when it's time to perform, like Danny King did, visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we've got a special offer for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code GIANTS at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code GIANTS, to receive the first month free. And we thank BlueChew for sponsoring the podcast and making Danny King's life so much better. Yeah, so so let's so let's jump to this hair-splitting offense. Uh, with that <laughs> with that same philosophy, Dan, I'm surprised the Giants didn't sign Tim Tebow because wasn't that like his entire MO was a, especially in 2011, just try to get 10 yards every three yeah. plays? Average, I, 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 I took a look at his pro football reference page today. Like five and a half rushing yards per attempt, six and a half passing yards per attempt. It's bananas. Only um, win. But yeah, yeah, winners win. Um, but you mentioned Kadarius Tony a little bit earlier in the show, a little bit early in the pod. So this Kadarius Tony is the one player from this draft class right now where I'm just kind of now one significant player. The six round picks are always kind of a crapshoot, right? But the one you know significant player that we've taken that we took in the first four rounds, where I'm kind of just throwing up my hands and saying, I don't know, you know, well, you know, Aaron Robinson's obviously going to be competing with Darnay Holmes, and then we already talked about the fit of the other guys. So, but Kadarius Tony is like this is kind of just fun and we're going to see what happens. So yeah. talk a little bit more specifically about, you know, how you see him fitting, you know, you talked about your preference, but also like, you know, is, is the drafting Kadarius Tony really going to be a sign that this giants offense, Jason Garrett, Joe judge, however many voices are in the room that, they, that this is going to evolve versus what happened in 2020. Yeah. To that last part, I'll be honest with you guys. I'm definitely still very skeptical that this offense is going to change a lot from what we saw in 2020. It's nice on paper. It's nice to go with the thought that they drafted Tony to change the offense, but it's also highly possible. They drafted Tony because they did not have enough playmakers last year. They did not have enough guys that create creating space. And quite frankly, they just didn't have enough raw speed on the field and burst on the field last season. So if that's the case and they draft them for that reason, it doesn't convince me that we're going to see some wholesale changes in the offense from Garrett. Now I'm hoping I'm wrong. I hope an old dog can change, can, can, can come up with new, what do they call it? An old dog has new, new tricks, new tricks for an old dog. Like, Quite frankly, we saw it with Dave Gettleman. He had never traded back in any of his draft classes, and he did that. And Gettleman has also done a really good job of avoiding reaching on interior defensive linemen in the last two classes, which I'm so thankful for and so happy that he's not dumping a lot more assets there because they really couldn't afford it. And same goes with running back. Obviously, they took a six-round pick gamble there, but he's going to probably be just special teams or bust anyway. So ultimately, when it comes to the offense, Justin and Bobby, I I can't say I'm fully confident, but I will say this about the actual pick of Kadarius Tony. I think this is by far and away their biggest boom bust uh, selection and decision. I don't think that's going out on a limb, but I think there's a lot more boom than just what can he do? What he, has he shown us he can do? He can, he's shown us that he can potentially be elite or close to elite from a pure burst standpoint creating yards in that one to 10 yard range, right? When he touches the ball from contact balance standpoint, that's by far and away the best trait he has his ability to just kind of just slither out of tackles and get super low when he's running and find a way to create another force tackle here and force miss tackle here, another more force miss tackle there. And then finally, it's like obviously his stop and start ability, but that's the third, the third trait is the most important to me because what that shows me is that he has a lot more upside as a pure receiver because he can become an elite route runner. That's not to say he will become an elite route runner, but his ability to stop and start like that 
means that if he continues to work at his craft, he will be close to unguardable in the slot, in my mind. And he will become an incredible receiver overall, route runner. Yeah, it might mean he's only in the slot and in the backfield. That's where they use him and then on motion. But that's fine. And today's NFL, like having an elite slot is extremely important. All the most of the our, the biggest plays are usually those slot verticals and those plays generated out of the slot. So all that's good, but there are definitely red flags for me. One is Jason Garrett, like you guys mentioned, like in year one, I can totally see a situation where I don't get what I want. He's not a key cog in the offense and they just can't find a way to use him in the offense. Two, it's that he does have injury red flags. He was injured a lot at Florida. And that is something we can't just overlook, in my opinion, like based on his body type, I would say, and just overall the history there with injuries. It's definitely a concern to me. The off field stuff. I don't know. It's so hard to judge this stuff, man. Like the Baker situation, I never saw that coming. I don't know if you guys did, but like, that's devastating. Like even before the arrest there, I mean, he was, had the reports of him sleeping in meetings and I know he had obvious issues like with the coaching staff at Georgia, but at the same time, like you'll see that pop up with a lot of prospects and it ends up meaning nothing. So I can't really speak on that, but to me, the boom is the boom. The bust is more so in the injury profile going forward in Jason Garrett, but the boom to me is he can legitimately become like an elite route runner with that stop and start ability. Yeah. As, as far as Garrett goes before the draft, they had signed Kenny Galladay and mm-hmm. Kyle Rudolph to be weapons for the team. I, John, you know, John Ross is a flyer. Like, you know, any production John Ross gives me is is good. You know, I'm not putting any expectation on him. I think it's a fun signing, but I also am like, you know what? If we experienced all those drops he had, we probably would hate him. Like Bengals fans would hate him. But it's it's a flyer. Like, you know, it's you're you're taking it. You're you're not risking anything on it. Where I was like, okay, I was like, I we're probably going to see more of the same from Jason Garrett. Obviously, there'll be some like the only reason that people came up with to keep Garrett was one. Uh, well, you know, Saquon was out and two, it's like continuity. It's like, well, I don't think you should keep anyone just for the sake of continuity, but continuity is better than no, non continuity, you know, than none. But I was like, this is going to be a traditional Jason Garrett offense. You has this big wide receiver, you know, like he had in Dallas and Kenny Galladay. And then Kyle Rudolph is, you know, that Jason Witten type tight end, you know, where Evan Ingram just was never going to fit that role. My hope is that the Kader say it again. <laughs> I said, he's there for the Y stick option there. Yeah. My, so it's like, it's like, okay, he's got better players in these spots. That's cool. I'm not expecting anything nuts where the hope with Kadarius Tony is that there is a change going forward that, you know, and I don't think it's because of Jason, you know, I do think, you know, Joe judge being like, Hey, I'm the head coach and taking controls. Like we are going to do things differently. So that, that is my hope. The downer, though, to me is that I don't think Jason Garrett's ever going to be an advantage as an offensive coordinator. You know, it's like I, I, I can definitely see Jason Garrett catching up to the rest of the league with motion, you know, you know, just doing doing different things. But I don't think he'll ever be the guy that innovates and is the is the guy that the rest of the league that uh, he has to catch up to. So, you know, I'm, it's, it's very clear I'm not a Jason Garrett fan, but that's where I put my hope in is that, you know what, that this Kadir's Tony signing signals some type of change from Joe Judge's order because like you said well year one you're not just going to line him up and 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 you know put him in that Sterling Shepard role at slot he's got to do different things yeah I mean all that's fair and I'm also hoping the same all the coaches they brought in the different types of talent they brought in means Judge is putting like a referendum and he even said it you know in his postseason presser he's like we're going to break down the film and try to figure out what the hell happened with this offense and it's I've always said I said this right when he said that and I'm sure you guys can attest this having watched so much all 22 like if you watch that film and if he did what he said he's going to do there Joe Judge and broke down that film see what the problem is it won't take long for him to see that that offense, because he's watching all these other offenses every week, that offense was just well behind every other offense in the NFL. It's But the problem for me, like it always comes back to this, Bobby and Justin, like how much can a, can a coach who's this entrenched into his coaching career change? How much is that possible? Because we know they're not changing the system this year. The terminology and all that will remain the same. So what's going to have to happen is he's going to have to change two things. One, his overall philosophy that I've obviously discussed when you said you mentioned a bunch. That idea that the goal here is to get 10 yards and three plays and keep moving. 10 yards and three plays and keep moving. And we saw how bad that goal can like, that goal can backfire, man. They lost the Steelers game because that was their goal. And they had another game that they essentially lost and or took themselves out of a chance of winning. I'm forgetting on it now because they had a similar drive that went 90, that went five or six or seven or eight first downs and then ultimately got them zero points. So that philosophy to me is just never going to fly. And I don't know how someone that entrenched can change his philosophy, 
but I hope he can. And then the other thing is just, there's just so many times when you're watching the, the all 22 and there are rats that are breaking back toward the quarterback. And just think about that. Like, let's take a step back and just losing yards. I'm sorry. Yeah. Just think about like why that just, I think anyone can kind of relate to this. Why won't that work? Well, when you have a route that stops and breaks back toward the line of scrimmage, once the receiver makes that catch, if he makes that catch, he has to re flip his body, flip his hips and restart his momentum yeah. versus when you have routes that are breaking toward the sideline, which was a lot of Shermer system or up the field, which again, are a lot of all the good systems in the NFL have routes that are almost constantly breaking up field or toward the sideline. You give the receiver a chance to catch the ball and then run after catch. And what did we see from Daniel Jones in 2019? He threw an unbelievable pass on the crossers and on those mesh routes and on those types of like the ball was put in the perfect spot to maximize yak. He doesn't throw the best curl rat like in the game. And like, no one does like who throws a great curl. Like it's an okay. Like you can throw we don't the- have the weapons that are respected. Like if, if we had Tyreek Hills, like run the curls all day. Cause they're scared of getting their ass beat. Right. Like, we don't have, we even now we don't have those guys, you know, now we have Tony, but like mm-hmm. Kenny Galladay, it's like, I don't want Kenny Galladay running curl. No, I don't want running curls. Do, you know? like, you know? <laughs> I don't want anyone running. Generally, you just don't want these routes breaking back towards the line of scrimmage. And just that I think can change that part of it. I actually think he can change. I think we'll see a lot less of those, you know, spacing routes, those four curls to the sticks. And I do honestly think we'll see less of that. I feel like that was partially because of how defenses played Garrett because they didn't have Saquon and uh, Barkley in the lineup. I think that could change some things. And they didn't have a guy like Galladay who's going to sometimes recover. uh, I'm sorry, require cloud coverage, not every game, but sometimes there wasn't really anyone last year who did that for the giants at receiver. So I have faith that part will change. It's the philosophy part. That's, that's a struggle for me. Like in my mind, the best coordinators right now are looking to generate chunk plays at all times. And they're looking to keep defenses off guard by getting them. But when they're setting up pass, they run the ball or when they're setting up run, they pass the ball. And those two areas to me, I really do feel Jason Garrett struggles with among really against all 32 NFL coordinators. I think he's bottom five in both areas. Dan, I felt like I felt like a broken record during the 2020 season. Just every week I'd be like, all right, here's where the giants compared to the rest of the national football league and explosive plays. They were 28th and pass plays. You know, they did all right. Decent when Daniel Jones, Mm -hmm. Daniel Jones running the ball was the most explosive part of their offense last year, which is kind of sad. It was valuable. It's good, but it was still kind of sad, but I'm sure a large majority of people that are listening to this, you know, you started off the show by talking about the offensive line, but the large majority of people that are listening to this and that even, you know, they just maybe watch the giants without getting too crazy into the all 22 or too crazy to the stats and whatnot. They blame the offensive line, and that's been the thing. That's been the theme of since Eli Manning was quarterback and basically since 2012. It's been blame the offensive line, blame the offensive line, blame the offensive line. So I have a theory, and it kind of goes in between the you know, what we're talking about schematically, about you know, maybe some more vertical, vertical concepts. Even the Giants may probably definitely do feel that they have a that they have a more trust in their offensive line room than the rest of the fan base does. And, you know. Partially, my thinking is if is if they can expand the field vertically, that will take less pressure off the offensive line because that means NFL defenses aren't blitzing us as much. So do you feel like the progression of the offensive line can be seen through there and the schematics can help the offensive line? Um, where are your kind of thoughts of not taking an offensive lineman in the draft and where we kind of are with the with the group right now? Yeah, I mean, that's that's there's a lot to unpack there. Let's start with the thoughts on not taking an offensive line in the draft. I'll just reiterate. I felt I felt like based on how the draft played out, they did they were fine there. There wasn't alignment I personally would have taken at any of those spots over the players they took in the first three rounds. And then once you get to round four, who cares? Like you can't expect a round four offensive lineman to come in and start. I know people will say Shane Lemieux did that, but the the over the the, the takes on Shane Lemieux that I see from some Giants fans is just mind-boggling to me. It's it's like, did you not watch this guy last year? Did you not see that? And they got away with a lot of snaps last year with Shane Lemieux, where he got beat right off the snap, and Jones found a way even before the. I'm not sure if it was after the injury, but certainly before Jones was injured. Gates there, saved him a couple of times too. Where and Gates like, did oh, exactly. And Gates saved him even more than that. And where those plays, you know, if that's not a save by Gates or by Jones, now that's a sack. Now the drive's over, or even worse, that's a sack fumble, and the game might change. So like the amount of times Lemieux got burnt, like I'm not going to cite PFF stats because I don't give a crap about their ratings. I have, I'm starting to lose a lot of faith in PFF as the years go on. Cause like, there's so many things you see when you watch the tape that you just don't align with their ratings. So like, I'm not going to cite their 13 grade or whatever they gave for Shane Lemieux, but 
I know, Bobby, you're the same way because I watch every single one of your offensive line reviews. We both agreed that like Shane Lemieux was not a quality starter by any means last year. He, in my mind, in pass protection, he was one of the worst guards in the NFL last year. I mean, it's hard to judge without seeing every guard, but I can't imagine it was much worse than that. For he struggled, you know, from, from the, you know, even, um, you know, that Tampa game where originally I was like, oh, the running back gave up the sack. It's like, and I hate giving Jeff Schwartz compliments, but he pointed out, he's like, no, this was actually on Shane Lemieux. Um, and, he, you know, he's an Oregon guy. So, yeah, he wasn't good, you know, and and I, I still am – I've asked every single beat reporter we've talked to, <laughs> privately and on the podcast, is like, what the hell happened with Will Hernandez? Like, yeah. what happened? It doesn't make sense. I get the – like, and it's like, is there anything behind the scenes that's going on? It's like, nope, nope. Like, and like I said, not – you know, I can understand people not telling us that publicly on the podcast, but it's like – People won't. We we get nothing. We get nothing besides a few, you know, listeners who being like, oh, we saw him, you know, like giving their theories. So I I do have no clue what that is because I now I think Lemieux is a good run blocker. Like I do think he's a good run blocker. Like day like day one, um, I think him and Hernandez are pretty close in that. But it's like Hernandez is a much better pass blocker, and honestly, Will Hernandez has not lived up to pick thirty four. But I'm not worried about Will Hernandez starting, you know, where I am worried about Shane Lemieux and Matt Pear. Not to say those guys don't have potential, but I'm worried about them. Yeah, I mean, you Justin asked to go over the whole line, so we'll definitely do that as well, though my thoughts are pretty pretty much identically aligned to you. I'm not worried about Will Hernandez at right guard. I'm a little worried that he's learning a new, that he's converting to a new position. I don't think that's as easy as people make it, but overall he gets into that pass block set so, so quickly and so smoothly that I think he'll be perfectly fine in pass blocking. Like you said, he actually is a worse run blocker than Lemieux because it, it's very odd with Hernandez. He's, He's just, I guess he's just too boxy. I guess that's what it is because it's so hard for me to figure out why he's not a good run blocker not an amazing run blocker, I should say in the NFL, because he is average. He's adequate in that regard. But I, when he came out, I really thought he was going to be a dominant run blocker for the Giants. And then the pass blocking was going to be like, whatever, it could be good. But that's been his, his calling card's actually been the pass blocking. So that's odd to me. I, I can't really put a fully put on what it is. So I'm just going with the guess that, that he's a little boxy. But I will say one thing about Hernandez versus Lemieux last year. And this also goes into maybe why Matt Parrott was it looked like a different player when he came back off the COVID list. I spoke with my uncle, who's a doctor and like really well into that community. Like he's been on boards and everything like that. And he's been a doctor for 50 years. And he told me there's something that a lot of doctors are looking into right now. And it's called the long haul theory with COVID with people who uh, have had COVID. And what he basically said is as you kind of go up in weight range and obviously both Parrot and Hernandez are big, heavy guys. I mean, they're both probably in that 300 pound range. I don't know their exact playing weights last year or what happened post and pre COVID, but as you go up in the weight range, it's affecting those people even more. And the long haul theory basically is that like, there's so many after effects once you get through COVID, once you get over it. And once you know, you're, you're past it, you're testing, you're testing negatively, but you still have these after effects with you and they really hurt these they really affect, I should say, these bigger linemen more. And basically it's like he said they're seeing that could take up to a full year before people kind of recover from that and see differences. Like they start to see people who first got it in last March and now this March they were doing better and then things of that nature with April and May. So that could be the case. I'm, I'm really hoping that's the case with like kind of why we saw Will Hernandez fall because on film, like, like you said, it just doesn't make much sense. And if that's the case, like we could see big jumps from both Parrot and Hernandez here, hopefully, but Overall, to tie it all back into the offensive line and Justin's question, because we've, we've gone on tangents here, I would say how much of scheme can fix an offensive line? To some degree it can, but like the way that Lemieux got beat a lot last year, which was right off the snap, I don't think there's really any way to fix that. You're certainly not going to dial up a vertical game when that happens. And it's not like defenses were playing were playing back on the Giants before Saquon Barkley got hurt. Like if you looked at that Steelers game plan in week one last year with a fully healthy Barkley, they were just firing off the gaps and shooting there. And to me, I don't want to get too into this right now, but I do think part of the issue is actually Daniel Jones and his ability to process fast enough. And I think until he proves he can do a better job with that, I'm not so sure defenses are going to, even with Galladay on the field, they're going to totally change the way they play the Giants. We're going to have to test people vertically. And I do think Freddie Kitchens yeah. kicked Jason Garrett in the ass because that Cleveland game, I chart not not deep passes, but plays where there's two routes that are designed to go 15-plus yards. So you can throw a check down, but it's still – I view that as a deep concept. And 
that was the most by far was that Cleveland game. And it was like, this was with Colt McCoy and you saw the offense move in that game. They just couldn't convert on third and, and then the, you know, the, like the, in the red zone, you know, which is like, Hey, I'm not mad at, at the offensive coordinator for that. And then you saw it the final two weeks against Baltimore. I was not mad at Jason Garrett and I was not shy in blaming Jason Garrett on things that Baltimore game. I thought he called a pretty decent game. He was opening things up vertically. I mean, think about how that, you know, they had a third and three on the first drive of the game. And they had two false starts. So put them in third and 13. They didn't convert. You had an Austin Mack drop on third down. And then they were at, in the red zone called a man beater play on third down. No one beat their man coverage. Austin, you know, Austin Mack couldn't make the catch. That's not Jason Garrett's fault, but he called a man beater play. Uh, and then, and then, you know, the game kind of got a hand, out of hand after that. And then Dallas used, so that is my hope is that, like I said, he's never going to be the advantage as the office coordinator, but just do the things that Daniel Jones does well. Because I don't think Pat Shermer was reinventing the wheel with his offense, but he knew that J- Jones was aggressive and was likes to read from deep to short. Make that his offense instead of going side to side, everything pre-snap. He's never going to be that guy. Let him read from deep to short and trust that he's gotten better at the turnovers. And if he hasn't, he's not the guy, but – I do think that was their biggest mistake, and I do put some of this on Judge, is that they looked at Daniel Jones' turnovers going into this year and said, we need to cut those down more than like, hey, you know what, let's do what he did well and see if he can, if he's progressed and gotten better on the turnovers on his own. Music to my ears, Bobby. Literally music to my ears, because that's exactly how I feel about this situation. When you had Pat Shermer in here, it was all half-field, high-low reads, and that worked really well for Daniel Jones' skill set. He actually built a system that fit Jones' skill set, because we have to remember, yeah, Jones had a lot of starts at Duke, but let's be honest, that system was not anywhere near an NFL system. It was a very... I don't want to say basic system that they ran at Duke, but it was a lot of get the ball out really fast to your first read, and pretty much always going to your first read. And Daniel Jones still has a long way to go when it comes to full field reads. And that's what Garrett was basically asking him to do already. Instead of kind of, I like you said, building on what Shermer showed, his ability to do a great job of reading high to low on those half field reads. And why change all of that for him last season? I'll never understand that. And maybe it, you know, they hired him for a lot of other reasons. I think what you said, they want to help him cut on the turnovers. They want to help get a guy with coaching, head coaching experience to work with a first year coach like Joe Judge. They want it that Mara obviously loves Jason Garrett. They have a relationship off the field. That's that's a big reason why I'm a bit worried when if this offense struggles through four weeks. I, I mentioned in passing, like, oh, maybe they'll mark Columbo and just put Freddie Kitchens in. But I'm not so sure Mark, John Mara is going to fire Jason Garrett in season based on their off-field relationship. That's a whole other story. Jason Garrett will try and fight Joe Judge or something. We'll <laughs> yeah, we can, we can only hope, man, because, like, I'm just not confident in this dude, Jason Garrett. I'm just never going to be a fan. Like you said, like, what is there any upside for him to run a top 15 offense or a top? Not, no, not in total offense. I mean, like, be one of the 10 or 15 best court play callers in the NFL. Like, does anyone see that in the realm of possibility? Yeah. Probably no. Not, right? no. Well, I, I'm going to give him this chance this year to do what, what he does with these weapons, adding Saquon. Yeah. But again, because it's... we have no other choice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. <laughs> Um, and I've, I have been, I've never been like the, you know, fire this guy all the time, but I was very, I hate that we've turned this into an anti Jason Garrett podcast, but that's no, what happens good. when I you talk about the Giants that. offense. I, I don't hate that because it's literally like, at my point that Jason Garrett's the biggest, if you look, there's only three reasons in my mind, the Giants could fail this year outside of injuries. One and first and foremost would be Jason Garrett for me over the offensive line, because I think they could probably get no matter. I think they're going to get adequate play out of three of those guys. Like we said, Parrot and, and Lemieux, a little bit more of a gamble there. I feel good about Parrot. I don't know why. I'm just randomly feeling good. I'm just hoping that they're – I mean, but that's not random. It's based on what you see. Like, he could easily take a step forward yeah. based on his skill set. But Lemieux, I do not feel that same way about. I think Lemieux's been very overblown by Giants fans. Remember, he's still a fifth-round pick, and the issues that he had in pass protection at Oregon weren't necessarily just, oh, you get more reps and you fix them. No, some of these are just athletic lower body issues that may just – never be there for him in the end like may never fix themselves in the nfl because he simply doesn't have the lower body flexibility and athleticism to do it who knows but as far as like the rest of it goes garrett offensive line and then for me it would be daniel jones for sure as a third but other than that i don't really feel like there's too many holes on this team at all and so like yes i feel like we have to continue to focus on garrett because he is number one for me in my mind of things that need to fix themselves for the giants to win 11 or 12 games 
Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100%. Dan, we have a lot of crossover between Talking Giants and Big Blue Banter. Yeah. But for those that aren't familiar, what is Big Blue Banter and how can people find it? Yeah, thanks for giving us this opportunity as well. And just a little shout out, a little spoiler. We do plan to do a mega show. I know a lot of people who listen to this show listen to ours as well. And I'm going to give a little bit of a uh, shameless plug here. So if you want to follow us, you can follow me on Twitter at Dan Schneier NFL. It's D-A-N-S-C-H-N-E-I-E-R NFL. And you can also follow the Big Blue Banter podcast. Just type into iTunes Big Blue Banter. You'll see it's currently the number two rated behind Talking Giants because your fan base is better than ours. No, just kidding. We both do a great job and we're both way up there on those iTunes charts. So you might already follow us, but if not, check out our content there. We also have a YouTube page that's really in its baby stages. We just created it. We have five videos up there. If you go to YouTube and type in Big Blue Banter, you'll find it there. On Instagram, NY Big Blue Banter, so there's an NY in front of it. But I do want to do one final shout-out to you guys, Talking Giants, because really happy you guys had me on. I think at this point, and you know I'm not afraid to make statements like this, I think our two – I don't want to call it shows because now that we're expanding to YouTube and social and everything – our two content creation. What, what are we going to call this? You call it a show, Talking Giants, or what? Because brand. Um, a I like cult. To call we it a you, brand. we call it a cult, but you know, it's it is what you know. We we, we just it's a show. It's a okay. show slash cult. Let's call it a show, cult, brand, content, create whatever it may be. Content, All, whatever it is. I just know we're against the world, so that's. I know you that's guys are against the world, but give Big Blue Banter an exception. Hey, you're Team Talking <laughs> Giants. I like it. You're staking your your. We are on Team Talking Giants. So, yeah, I'm Team Talking Giants. I'm going to say this like, if you like the kind of content that both Bobby, Justin, myself, and Nick deliver on our two shows, I don't know if you're going to find it elsewhere. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm not trying to take a, take a shot at these other guys, but if you want that inside scoop stuff, there's plenty of beat writers who can give you that. But I don't know. I feel like with this kind of analysis, we're the two sources for it. And I think as more fans listen to this kind of analysis, they hear it and they're like, we like this type of stuff. Like this is the fun part of football to me, the X's and O's, the scheme. This is why I got so into football. This is why I'm so passionate about it. That's why I'm so like, I feel so lucky to be able to do this, man. Like it's so cool to see our both. I'm sure you guys feel the same way, but for Big Blue Bender, it's been so cool to see our fan base grow, to interact with the fans. And like, you know, I used to have, I used to have to dive into when I was a young kid, like 13, 14, I wanted this kind of information about the Giants. I'd have to get lucky that some, great poster on big blue interactive or one of those message boards was diving into it and delivering this kind of stuff. So it just feels good to be able to talk this type of stuff with Nick, with you guys and with our fans as well. And it's been a really exciting time, I think for both of our shows. I appreciate it, man. And and like I said, I, I think there's a lot of crossover um, because of all those reasons you said, I think we, we both offer some good stuff. All right, Dan, appreciate you. Thank you, everyone. Go follow, go subscribe to big blue banter. Listen to it after you listen to talking giants. They are on the team. Appreciate you, Dan. Thanks, guys. No holds bad. He he took me in the low post and won, but I think we had on the varsity. All right, thank you once again to Dan Schneier for coming on the show. Check him out, Big Blue Banter. Him and Nick Filato do an awesome job. Check him out on Twitter. Nick Filato does a lot of awesome stuff, too, uh, elsewhere on socials, and Dan Schneier is obviously an editor at CBS Sports. All right, but before we wrap up, Bobby Skinner, there's one more thing we have to talk about. One more thing we got to talk about. We have to talk about Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon. Great camera work I just did right there. So this is the flavor that I'm looking forward to trying out most. Looking forward to trying out the fruity flavor. My, because, you know, the fruity flavor, I guess you can make a fruity joke right there about me. My mother and I, we recently tried out the cocoa flavor. Tried it out with some milk. We really enjoyed it. Really got some cocoa flavor. So, Bobby, I'm looking forward to There's 60 days until I'm going to Ocean City, Maryland with my friends. 60 days. And I told them, I said, I want to knock off some pounds so I can show off the dad bod and not look so bad on the beach in Ocean City, Maryland. So, Magic Spoon is going to help me do that. Keto-friendly, zero grams of sugar, four net carbs, 13 grams of protein per service. But because it's keto, because there's low sugar, not a ton of calories... I'm liking it. So thank you to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. Um, you can go to magicspoon.com slash giants to get a variety pack, and you could try it today. You can get a bunch of different flavors. Be sure to use our promo code GIANTS at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon, they're so confident in their product, it's backed with 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at Magic Spoon com slash giants use the promo code giants to get five dollars off 
Thank you to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. Again, promo code GIANTS. Are you about that weight loss journey? I'm down 15 pounds in three weeks. Yeah, I, I, I uh, my, my friend put, my best friend put it in our group chat today that said 60 days out until our vacation. And I'm like, I don't want to be embarrassed. Like, you know, it's a little bit different, you know, when we're behind camera, you know, people still like to point out that I'm John Candy, which I appreciate. They're talking about personality wise. Oh yeah. Well, John Candy also was a little, was a little hefty too. Well, I am too. I, I, it, we're, we are going to be skinny by country. Last year I tried to do a, a challenge. So should we should we do a challenge again? I don't want to do a challenge because I because every single thing every single competition poll whatever I lose. But it's not I a poll. It's you. just let's like let's it's let's see who can lose the higher percentage. Look, the the competitive aspect is just totally taken out of me since I've since I've uh, stopped bowling in high school since I let's won my state championship contest. Let's bring contest. it back contest. Magic Spoon is going to help me get there. Very good. Very good. Yeah, I mean, just help me. It's been big. It's been big for me. All right, we appreciate you guys. We'll be back on Friday. We know we'll be talking about the schedule release. Giant Stories is returning, and we'll see what we tack on to that. Um, we're not going to do the mailbag this Friday. Mailbag will be n- next week. Next week we will have a mailbag. So, um, if you want to get your call in early, go for that. Blah 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 blah. Make it under a minute. All right, we appreciate you guys. See you on Friday. Until then, let's go. Big blue.